So before we start the summer edition of Dirt Church Radio, we just need to tell you quickly that we are supported by the most amazing companies and clubs, Wild Things, Ultra Spire, Scott Running, and Further Faster, the best independently owned sportswear, outdoors wear, sportswear and going to cut it in the known universe. And please go and support them this summer if you need gear, if you need the best packs, the best shoes, the best sense of community, or indeed uh, anything for outdoor use. Um, these are the people. people that you need to see. True. Something like further, faster, they're in Christchurch. Rocky is hairy and so is Badger. Jules is nice and Jacob is delicious. Go further, faster now. Go further, faster, they're in Christchurch. Rocky is hairy and so is Badger. Jules is nice and Jacob is delicious. Go further, faster now. Dirtchurch Radio. Episode 226 of Dirt Church Radio, the summer edition. We made it. We did. Welcome to the second of our summer greatest hits special. Now this week, Christopher McDougall. This was more an experience than an episode. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I, I mean, I'm just... Can you even remember it? No, not really. <laughs> no, not really. No, not really. So episode 198, um, Christopher McDougall... Born to Run. Yeah. You know, the the book that launched it all, the book that, that you know, the vanguard of, of adaptive running, um, trail running, brought the tarumara to the, the consciousness and sort of spearheaded the the minimalist movement really, didn't it? Mm. And, and, and so much more. Um, he's a, you know, New York Times bestselling author, journalist, runner, and, yeah, I mean – he, as you, as we say here, he's had the most, you know, the biggest impact on the sport since since Bosco, really. Um, he's written a bunch of other books, including Natural Born Heroes, Running with Sherman, and now he's got another book out, which has just actually dropped in the last month, Born to Run 2, which is a more of a how-to guide, and we chatted to him about that and a whole bunch of other stuff from his home in Pennsylvania. Um, I had COVID. Yeah, you had COVID. And in a in a in a fever dream, really, during this episode, but you had a overcome. You had a brilliant idea of subbing in Lola at one point, and in fact, she became the star of the show. You know, like we've got uh, Christopher McDougall on. You know, global running sensation. Everyone after the show was like, "Hey, it was great how you had Lola on the show." It's like, what about McDougall? But anyway, um, you know, she was fantastic, and uh, you you recovered from your COVID dream and fever dream and came back and saw the show out. But this was a, a such a good episode, we just wanted to share it with you again. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And and it's one that, and I'm very clear at the time, and it's very clear, like there was no one else, if it would have been anyone else, I wouldn't have been up for it. <laughs> I wouldn't have got up for it. And for those, you know, spoiler alert, um, Lola went on to run a yeah. full marathon. She did. At Blue Lake. Blue Lake, um, indeed. So no one got the head shaved, which is <laughs> pretty good. But look. First, we're going to keep up with the greatest run ever slot because it is so damn popular and we know that there's people out there on their summer runs listening to Dirt Church Radio and they do love the greatest run ever. So, without further ado, greatest run run ever. ever. Greatest run ever. Greatest run ever, which is the part of the show where we ask you to write into us and tell us your greatest run ever. Doesn't have to be a race or a mountain summit. Might just be a run around the block. Something that's sung to you for some reason. Send them in to us. Dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. This one's from Laura Matthews. 
My greatest run ever, Crazy K's Midwinter Backyard Ultra. I've been curious about the backyard format for a while and was pretty excited to take part. After an icy drive from the West Coast, I turned up for registration in the afternoon. I was both both impressed and intimidated by the epic aid station being put up around me. I had a growing sense of imposter syndrome looking at all the real proper ultra runners milling about. I parked my little van up and set in for the night. I woke in frost-coated darkness on Saturday morning and tucked into a breakfast of Macca's hash browns <laughs> that my boyfriend slash crew member had nipped out to find. The race started with woman first, so as one of the 26 ladies entered, I sheepishly made my way to the start line, trying not to think about the many hours ahead. Lap one started and off we, off we went. At four kilometres, we hit the sand dunes. Right as the sun was popping up and stoke was high, everything was good. The first five laps felt great and I enjoyed the chat around me. If I reach 10 laps, I'll be doing a beer lap. <laughs> <laughs> All the smack talk that you get really, isn't it? And I met some epic people who made the hours and kilometres fly by. By lap number seven, the brief moments of walking on the course started feeling a bit too good. During lap eight, my guts decided to stop cooperating. The brilliance of the Backyard Ultra is that you can nip off to the loo every hour. By lap 10, I was tired. My boyfriend had set up an epic aid station complete with pot plants, candles, and hot food. I almost threw up at the offer of instant rice and managed to force down half a goo. Lap 11 felt bad. The first 500 metres, I felt stiff, sore, and nauseated. It was really cold. A guy sprinted in at the end of lap 13 with two seconds to go. We all cheered. I decided I couldn't quit just yet. I made it to the end lap of 15 with a few minutes to spare. I walked straight to the timing desk and with relief told them I'm out. George McNeil called me over. I was bracing myself for a speech about one more lap, but he just gave me a hug instead. I had absolutely no business running 100 kilometers, but I loved every minute of it. Despite not knowing anyone else racing, I felt super welcomed and inspired by everyone around me. The next day, I got a message from another runner who I hadn't met saying my energy helped him get to 100k when he wanted to give up. How great is the running community? Wow, Laura. Yep, absolutely. And a hidden gem of a slogan for the Backyard Ultras right in there. You can go to the loo every lap. That's I don't right. know why they don't put that on the marketing. Uh, Laura, that was fantastic. Thank you. You, I mean, saying you have no business running 100 kilometres, you clearly did. You clearly did. Yeah, hats off, hats off. Well done. Uh, so thank you for sending in that greatest run ever. The rest of you, keep sending them in. We're making our way through the backlog, bringing them to you through the summer. Send them into us, Radio at gmail.com. Right. Christopher McDougall. New York best-selling author, born to run, natural-born heroes, running with Sherman, um, and now born to run too. I mean, yeah. If, just again, if you don't know who this person is, I feel like I'm sort of repeating the um, repeating the Ruth Croft spiel from last week. Like Christopher McDougall has had an incredible, incredible impact on the trail running culture in the last 10, 12 years, and this is a wonderful. Wonderful conversation, so please enjoy. Radio. Chris McDougall, welcome. I can see that we've all got different eras of running bottles. Your rocket, what have you got? you got the classic ultimate direction with the little, is it a nipple, a nuzzle? What You know, it's, it's quite the protuberance there. I've got the ultra spy. Eugene, what are you rocking? Oh, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, kind of, it's supposed to keep it, it um, cool, but it doesn't always do its job. Yeah. Mm. Nobility. <laughs> Going for the fancy it's got the option. fancy insulated. <laughs> look, Chris, Christopher, thank you so much for coming on Dirt Church Radio. Um, look, how are you? I understand you've just been on. You've literally you're still in your running clothes. How how was your run? 
Oh, uh, really good, man. It's a perfect day out here. Um, I'm currently in Pennsylvania, which is just uh, working its way in the summer. So I don't know. To me, like that's, I think maybe because I'm Sicilian by heritage, but like once, you know, the mercury gets up, I just start to feel better and better. So it's a 90, 90 degree Fahrenheit day today. Um, but as I was telling you guys, I tried to sneak in and run to the hardware store, which I'd never been to before, through some train tracks, through some woods. I was trying to like pioneer this new route. Of course, I didn't know where the shit I was going. And uh, <laughs> the run ended up, it's all good. You know, good runs always do with you just like half lost, desperately late, booking for a home. So it had all the elements of drama that you could hope for. Running train tracks too. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of cool because where we are in Pennsylvania, this is an old um, uh, farming area. So lots of, you know, this is where Amish farmers live. So there's these old train tracks that still function, but they run right through the center of town. So you can like leave a kind of nicely, you know, gentrified, bougie little part of town and just be on hardcore train tracks with like, you know, hobos hanging out and, you know, human waste everywhere. But to me, like that's the coolest place to run. I, I really like it. And did you pick up anything at the hardware store? Or were you just going I for a look? Fact, I, I did, in fact. Yeah, we're um, in the middle of this weird transition. So for the last 20-some years, we had lived in this very rural place called Peach Bottom, uh, super remote, no neighbors. And then, But my wife was, was from Hawaii, and she always planned, with or without me, to leave Pennsylvania for Hawaii, which, you know, Completely justifiable. Uh, endorse endorse her move in every way. But it was going to happen. We kept putting it off, putting it off. And then when the pandemic hit, we we're thinking to ourselves, man, I wish we could go someplace where there's like none of this disease. So other than New Zealand, the only other option was like Hawaii. So like in a heartbeat, man, like completely impulsively, we rehomed all of our animals, sold the farm, packed the minimum of stuff, and just blazed for Hawaii. And we spent the past two years there. However, my youngest daughter was still finishing school here. So we decided to come back here. So the question was, what I get at the hardware store? The 30 minute answer is just some packing stuff because we're going to close this house down in a month and I'll be living full time uh, in Hawaii as of uh, July 2nd. Wow. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds beautiful. I wish I could, uh, you know, I wish we could say that, um, uh, we were COVID free still. Um, but we're not, uh, unfortunately. In fact, I, uh, I succumbed to COVID on. I didn't succumb to it. I have it. <laughs> I got it uh, last on Thursday. I think I came down, which is it's been two years, but finally sort of uh, jumped up and bit me. So, bit of a how's it been? How was your reaction? It's a weird. Like it's a weird. It's such a strange. Like I was just talking to to Eugene. You know, like uh, it's such a strange illness, and the whole time. Uh, it's just been sort of rampaging on, you know, uh, my day job as a, as a, as a charge nurse in a, in a hospital, I've been sort of like those memes of that person trying to dodging all the different streams. Um, can, like, uh, how does it feel? Like I've been run over by a bus essentially. So just, but no sore throat, um, not much coughing, a uh, bit of a temperature now. And uh, yeah, just, just like I've been flattened, really. It's, it, it's gnarly. Um, but I understand how, that how some long, people have a lot long, worse. How long have you had that flattened feeling? This morning is the worst. So today, so today's day two. And uh, the flattened feeling is, is, is here this morning. So, yeah. And look at you. You got out of bed, headphones on. Doing your job, 
undeterred. I'm not missing this. I was like, I was like, Matt, are you sure you should go back to bed? And he's like, I'm not no missing way. this one. No way. Yeah. No way. And 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 no no offense to any other guest or potential guest on Dirt Church Radio, but I'm not missing this, man. Like, no way. You'd have to be. Uh, yeah, uh, get the well, tube on that. Yeah, to get man, ever since ever since I started drinking my own urine every day, <laughs> I personally <laughs> feel like that's been the secret to keeping me, you know, very yep. healthy. So, yeah, yeah, brilliant. I, I thought you guys, <laughs> I thought you guys drank bleach, isn't that? Your president tried to suggest or something? Or? <laughs> yeah, on the presidential orders, when you started injecting, <laughs> I like to inject something <sighs> like alcohol. So is that in the uh, look? I mean, I guess that's a good segue. Is drinking your own urine in Born to Run too? I'm, I'm hoping not. You know, I, there's still an opportunity. I'm, I'm actually mentally calculating the print schedule. Like, huh, can I sneak in a barefoot, whiz drinking sidebar? I, I, I will tell you this though: we did a thing. We did a. Oh, man, it, was so, it was so so vintage barefoot Ted. We did a photo shoot in California back in November in a tiny little place called Colton, California, middle of nowhere, like central uh, California. And we ended up doing it at a nudist resort because our friend Pat Sweeney, if you ever run across Pat Sweeney on the ultra running circuit, uh, rarely closed, always drunk, um, super fast. Anyway, so Sweeney lives on a nudist resort. We needed a place for this photo shoot where we could have like a closed area. And Sweeney's like, well, come here, man. It doesn't get more closed than, you know, closed off the news resort. So Lewis and I and Eric Gordon reached out to Ted, who lives in Santa Barbara about four hours away, saying, dude, any, any chance you can come down and surprise the people in the photo shoot with a pair of Luna sandals? And for the next three days, Ted said every word in the English language except yes or no. No, are you coming back? And then Lewis and I, like, we were just, our heads were dueling layers of like molten lava as we got more and more frustrated because we're trying to do this photo shoot. Is Ted coming? How's Ted coming? When's Ted coming? But when he did show up, man, it was like, I don't know, it was like Barbara Streisand showing up. He shows up, slays, and he leaves. He got there, he sat down and made a uh, handmade, custom-sized, two-spec pair of Luna sandals for all 13 people, including a little girl who's there helping out. Uh, whatever kind of strap they wanted, whatever kind of leather they wanted, fitted them to their feet. There is a trans woman named Karma Park, who is a big Barefoot Ted disciple. Ted, I, I well up when I talk about this, Ted lavished attention on her, made her feel like a goddess. And for a person going through the most troubling transition that any human will go through, to have a wingnut like Ted genuinely like admire you and mm -hmm. hold you up as an equal, you know, and uh, and then he had this, this free form monologue that went on for like, again like forty minutes, and there was a screenwriter there, this guy who's working on a Born to Run TV series, but he was there, and he and I are looking at each other like, how do you write this? Like, how do you write this for a character? Because it was. Unbroken, like a pure, it's like a, it's like a Jay-Z rap performance. That was Barefoot's head. So I would love to get him waxing eloquent on the benefits of drinking his own body fluids. <laughs> but maybe it's time to just, maybe less is, less is more. <laughs> so we've, we've had Barefoot Ted on the podcast. I've also had the pleasure of interviewing him for a print uh, publication, which was um, 
again, yeah, you're right. It's like a 20-word question and a 1,500-word answer. Um, and it was actually listening back to those transcripts was the, the kind of which planted the seed in my head of like people could much much more likely listen to this than you know me writing it down for them to read um i mean getting back to your book born to run congratulations born to run two congratulations um what what was the sort of the inspiration to write a sort of how-to guide for running well in the 21st century yeah i was supposed to be writing another book <laughs> i had a contract to write another book and I, I spent two years working on it. And the stories were all there, but something was bugging me. You know, there's something, it was just kind of taking the energy out of my legs. And I kept putting it off and putting it off. I couldn't figure out what it was. And it, it finally hit me, which was that the book felt luxury. Uh, so the book I was working on is called uh, King of the Weekend Warriors. And it was focusing on people who are excellent at various sports and various challenges, but for no recognition. You know, no one has ever heard of any of them, and they don't care. So this one buddy of mine, he's a, a hedge fund researcher on Wall Street, but he has set nine different Guinness World Records for things like the fastest traverse of the entire New York City subway system, um, fastest and longest pub crawl, um, fastest half marathon run with a double baby, baby jogger. And what he would do, he looks at these challenges as sort of mathematical, logistical, strategic uh, challenges. So like first you got to figure out the how, mm. and then you got to, you know, figure out, you know, the, the, the where and when, you know, you got to sort of train yourself and get ready for it. But this guy labors in, in obscurity and his, his attitude toward competition is he goes hard. Like this guy is like a 232 marathoner. He goes effing hard. He trains effing hard. But I was at I was with him at UTMB, you know, the Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc, which he'd been training for for a year. And about 60 miles into it, he realized he was getting destroyed on the descents. Like he trained hard for the climbs. But in, you know, in New York, you got to pick out your your uh, your climb. So he used to run up downstairs. But anyway, coming down the Alps, running down. His legs, his hamstrings were just fried. So mile 60, he realized, I, I just can't make the cutoffs. I can't finish. So I was um, crewing for him. So he pulls into mile 60, and he goes, yeah, man, I'm, I'm just going to have to drop. Then he checks his phone. He's like, oh, my God, my wife and kids, they're in the middle of an actual glacier. Like, I can't wait. Like, in 10 seconds, he went from, like, the agony of defeat to, like, I can't wait to climb into a glacier with my kids, you know, and then it was gone. And the, the race was forgotten. And I was looking at this guy thinking, that's it, man. Like, this is like Yoda Zen shit right there. Go hard when it's time to go hard. Then the second it doesn't go your way, it's only a game who gives a crap. Let's go play in a glacier with the kids. And so that's the book I was supposed to be writing. But it felt way too sermony, you know. Like, I, I couldn't get the, you guys are all doing it wrong. Let me tell you how to do it right, right. attitude. And it just felt phony, man. And so I was spinning my wheels on that book. And I kept, I keep getting messages. I get messages all the time from people asking me for training advice. And I usually just say, look, dude, I'm not that guy. You know, uh, Eric's that guy. Scott Jurek's that guy. I'm not that guy. But then it, it dawned on me, man, it's been 13 years. I've probably gotten, you know, maybe a quarter million requests for information. And then I thought, well, if I'm not that guy, I know that guy. <laughs> so I'll just call Eric. So he and I, 
teamed up on this book and instantly, you know, I just felt this like tailwind of energy because this is what I should have been doing. And what I, what I should have been doing rather than get preachy and like bitch about David Goggins, what I should have been doing instead of focusing on the negative, focus on the positive, like find the people who are doing things the way I think is cool, extract the lessons they've learned and put that on the page. Mm. And by teaming up with Eric, I had like a wilderness guide. So they could actually give me the concrete training answers about choosing footwear or how to perfect your running form or proper nutrition, things like that. So that, that worked out great, man. It was so fun. So you kind of strip out the, so you just do it, do what it is, do what it is, do the, don't worry about the trying to shape something around it. Just do, do what it is. It's a, it's a guide. It's, it's what it is. It's, it's here it is. You want the answers? Here they are. Rather than yeah, trying yeah. to pretend that you're on some narrative or something. I don't know. Is that what you're saying? Well, you know, it's funny. So that was the original idea. Like, let's mm. strip it down. Let's, let's put all the stuff that was between the lines in Born and Run. Because in Born and Run, I was very hands-off. Like, I, I don't know, guys. I'm, I'm new to this myself. Yeah. You know, maybe it works. Uh, the only barefoot guy I know is Ted. And I'm not putting my money on that dude. So I try to take a very let's wait and see approach in Born to Run. But now 13 years later, one of the revelations I had was the premise of that book was, hey, if you do this stuff, you can probably run for the rest of your life. And now 13 years later, I'm like, hey, look, you know, I'm still running. Like, it worked. 13 years is a pretty good guinea pig. Um, so originally, we were going to keep it down to the practical training advice. But as you can tell from these like 40-minute barefoot Ted-like answers I'm giving you, is that if I got a cool story, I'm just going to try and ram it home. Mm. So it ended up being a lot of narrative as well. We would, uh, most of the chapters would start off with an example, you know, narrative, a story about somebody. And then we would use them as sort of a teaching example of how you can approach your own, um, your own guide toward choosing proper footwear. Like, for instance, you know, uh, Golden Harper, the guy who created uh, Ultra Shoes. Coincidentally, when Born to Run came out, he was just on the cusp of, of launching Ultra Shoes himself. Him and his like mad scientist dad, Hawk, were working in their running shoe store in uh, Orem, Utah. Ogden, Orem? Ogden. Orem, Utah, yeah. And they were there stripping down shoes and rebuilding their own prototype ultras when Born to Run came out. And these guys are like, this is exactly what we're talking about. So they called me up and we started to talk and connect. And so it, it's, kind of, it's kind of a cool timeline. The rise of Born to Run and Ultra were like side by side. The book came out. Ultra shoes launched like a year later. Barefooting uh, captured uh, some momentum, Ultra shoes. But, you know, Golden had a, a ton of resistance every step along the way. And to this day, you know, he, he still gets a lot of pushback. And so I used that story of Golden and Hawk quietly developing their own revolutionary footwear as a story that brings us into how you know every person can choose their most appropriate running shoe. Mm. I was considering this last night. Um, I mean, you wrote your book as a like you said a, a relative beginner, and and now you know it's, it's it's thirteen years later. I mean, a you've got a second generation of people reading the book. My daughter, who's my fifteen year old, who's so into trail running, has just finished Born to Run, and is you know jazzed up by it but b i was thinking about you know yeah you say the the rise of ultra but have you considered also the rise of brands like hoka 
the rise of or the the move to with other brands now like well we need you know because it there was that counter not just the pushback against ultra um but the pushback you know yes you can have yes low drops all good but what about those nasty stones that are hurting your feet you can have you know this cushion and the thing i mean it i don't want to be too pin too much on it but you book it seems like there was a it came at a pretty pivotal moment, and hey? lots of things were happening at that point, and it sort of spurned things along. Hey, sorry, I don't know. Is that a question? The COVID brain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, got, I got, I got where you're going. Thanks. I think it's the thing about of you. Yeah, no, I think the thing about it. By the way, I'm really, I'm really stoked that your daughter enjoyed the book. I think though, for journalistic. Honesty. We should get her out here to say it for herself, just in case. She's like, "Come on, Daddy. You know, you made me read it." it I'll go get her if you want. <laughs> yeah, she'll bring her in, bring it, put her on. I would love to. But while, while Matt is forcing his daughter uh, into the, <laughs> she's, she's a willing participant. Lola, yeah, she's really taken to trials and um, is getting out there and going after it. It's it's great to see. Yeah. Of course, if I try to drag my you know eighteen year old daughter in right now, that would be the last straw in the yeah. father daughter. Yeah, yeah. I'm going, to, I'm going to jump into this while Matt is away. Yeah. So the thing about shoes is that, you know, on the one hand, you know, I love the rebel spirit. Anybody wear anything. I don't care, man. If you want to wear, you know, gum boots, go for it. Hey, look who's here. Guest appearance. Oh. Hello. Hello. What's your name? Lola. Hey, Lola. Right on, Lola. How you doing? Good, thank you. How are you? I am really good. So are you coming here voluntarily or is your dad withholding like finances or something to make you go on mic? I am here voluntarily. Yay. And you've just read Born to Run. Yes. Yeah. So first of all, why did you read it? Um, I had just, I don't know. I had just finished reading Eat and Run and dad's like, oh, Born to Run is really good. Because um, I like... Because I like running, I also didn't understand that I'd like reading about running so much. I almost like reading about running more than like running itself. So I read it because it's about running. I kind of like that. I want Born to Run to be the running alternative. You yes. don't want to run, just <laughs> sit. Yes. So, um, yeah. What? what so you, you like reading about running? Uh, are you vegan, by the way? What, what brought you to eat, eat and run in the first place? Um, I'm not vegan. I'm vegetarian and i hadn't had a lot of like vegetarian meals i was just kind of eating veggies and i needed protein and i was like oh okay eat and run would be good and it's kind of like i read it when i first started running so i kind of used it as like a i don't know a push off kind of to like get myself going yeah um hey do you know lucy bartholomew yes she has a great, she's vegetarian, and she has a great uh, cookbook of oh, really? vegetarian meals. Yeah, it's only downloadable. I think you can only get it in the digital version. Um, but if you can't find it, have your dad reach out to me. I'll, I'll connect to you. It's really good, and she has a lot of stories in there. Mm. She's been through a really interesting saga. If you ever have a chance to see her in person and speak, like push people out of the way and make sure you go because mm. she's spellbound. But she really she dealt with a lot. She dealt with eating disorders, um, a very problematic 
Have you guys had her on the show, by the way? Yeah, a couple of times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I was about Lucy no, 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 no. We, we. I mean, we shout to the shout to the rooftops about Lucy. Um, and she, you know, the the eye condition that she had. She's been through a lot of, a lot of, lot yeah. of things. Um, but yeah, yeah. Lovely get dad to um line up a couple of those episodes that she's been on. Um, she's really great, and she loves watermelon as well. And who doesn't love watermelon? <laughs> I love watermelon. Yeah, yeah. Watermelon. So is look, let's, let's let's put you in the hot seat. So tell me about Born to Run. Like what? Do you like it? You, you can tell me. You can give it to me between the eyes, man. If you thought it was overblown and weird, tell me. But what do you think about it? I really liked it. And I liked that my favorite bit was the bit about the actual run itself. And, like, it was the preparation. I liked all that bit, but I liked you writing about, like, the run and how people ran it and stuff. That was my favorite part. And I really liked... Yeah, it was. I liked that bit the most because I think it was like really exciting, and it was like a nice way to end off the book. Cool. You like the actual racing? How about some of the people in it? Did you identify with anyone? Um, identify with anyone? Yeah. Was there anyone in the book you thought, oh yeah, you know, I feel like I'm I'm kind of similar to that person? Um, (laughs) not um, probably. I don't know. I feel like Scott Jurek's plant-based, so I kind of <laughs> identify in that way a bit. But I don't know. I don't really. You run your own race. Yeah. That was a, that was a trick. That was a trick question, Lola. If you said you identified with uh, Jen Shelton, then your dad was going to take away the car keys for the rest of your life. The car keys. <laughs> we'll never let you out of the house the rest of your life. <laughs> Sleep outside. Yeah. Yeah. Scott Jorick is hands down the best person to identify with. A, uh, yeah, have you guys had him on, Eugene? No, we Get haven't actually. On? No. We should okay. do. Yeah. He's actually, you know, for a low-key, modest guy, he's a very good speaker, really good yeah. storyteller. Yeah. Good on his yeah. feet. Uh, but yeah, look, I think not through want of trying, person. by the way. What's that? Not oh, through oh, want yeah? of trying. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, maybe I can help you out with that. Okay. I don't know. All right. But I'll tell you, you picked you picked the person with the biggest heart, um, the kindest guy, like just the best overall human mm. in that book. Uh, you picked a good one. Yeah, he se- seems really nice. His wife is a, is a trip too, Jenny. Like Jenny, like everything. Yeah. Oh, have you, have you come across things with Jenny? Yeah. She is a... Uh, She's a dynamo. Yeah, seems Very like cool. a special human. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What's up with you then? So have you, you started running trails then, Lola? Yeah. About, um, I started like properly, because in 2020 when we went into the big lockdown, I was kind of like, mm, I'll run with mum and stuff. But I wasn't uh, running very far. And then I kind of just stopped running when we got out of lockdown. And then it like, after the Riverhead relapse this year, which is a backyard like, um, race, you know the Lazarus Lakes backyard yeah. race. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, go yeah. on, carry on. I was like, I'm gonna start like running because I want to be able to do stuff like this. Like that's the kind of ultimate goal to be able to run races like relapse, and I'll do Blue Lake. Uh, 24 hour 
Is it the 24-hour challenge? Yeah. 24-hour challenge in September. So you go to Rotorua and you run around a 5.5-kilometer loop as many times as you can in 24 hours. It's going to be very fun. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I like running because it's fun. I don't think I wouldn't, I wouldn't... If I didn't enjoy it, I wouldn't do it. And that's why I'm always like kind of telling people they're like how do you get motivated to run and stuff and it's like just do it because it's fun don't do it like with like a I don't do it with a goal kind of or anything I just do it because I enjoy it and like I didn't know I enjoyed it so much until this week and I got quite ill and I haven't been able to run all week and I was like man I miss running like it's something I took for granted and now I won't because you know sometimes you just can't run at all I feel like you should be doing inspirational messages mm. for people <laughs> around the world. I'm very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> so you're only 15 though, right? Uh, yeah, I turned 15 in October. That's a pretty unusual age, I would think, for people to just start running recreationally. Like, What, what makes it fun for you? I like the challenge. Um, at like, I don't know if this – I like it as well because it's also not a part of school. Yeah. School is something I'm quite good at and sometimes I don't feel challenged at all. Yeah. Um so it's nice to have something that's not school that's also challenging cuz yeah. I kind of didn't have really anything that was that challenging. I was kind of like bored <laughs> and I do yeah and I like running with my dog as well, Rigby. It's really nice to have him running as well. Nice. Nice. Yeah, it's um I think I had a similar temperament. I was always kind of rambunctious in school. I kept thinking, man, if they would just let me go outside, just run around for an hour, like, yeah. it'd be better for everybody. But I never could, so I was always getting disciplined and uh, you know restrained and chucked out. So it seems like you, you're self-medicating by just you know downloading some endorphins and busting out some you know high octane yeah. running and yeah, stabilizing. Oh, good. Well, Lola, I really appreciate you stepping up and reading Born to Run. That's uh, it's really, really kind of you. It was a really nice book. I really enjoyed it. And I plan to give it to some of my friends to read as well. They're quite interested in it. Oh, good. Good. We got Born to Run 2 coming out, so you're right in time. Ooh. I'll have to get that. All right. Cool. Thanks, Lola. Thanks, Lola. Thank you. There you go. An endorsement live on live on a podcast you know what you can't you can't buy teenage endorsements you know like yeah you get a teenager to voluntarily say that they like something of yours that's that's some straight truth <laughs> needs to go on the cover oh. yeah i'll i'll tend to my resignation to the board on monday <laughs> you do. yeah that's right and matt i will say lola's got a really good um radio voice you know it's like really like she sounds a lot older than her year very modulated really good yeah, she's a yeah, she's a pretty singular individual. That one, I must say. Uh-huh. Um, she's certainly been going after it on the trials too, hasn't she? Um, yeah, yeah, she. Yeah, she but, has. but in a and in I, a good way, in a like not. Well, I think it's that thing that you were talking about, uh, Chris. It's that sense of, and it's a very and right through your books. And I was thinking about it. I was thinking about the the borough racing i was thinking about uh natural born heroes which i just finished i watched guns and never own last night actually uh sort of tying into that um is that sort of that 
like you said, be hard when it gets hard or run when you need to. And, and as play, like she, you know, there's no, there's none of this wacky, gross adult kind of self-expectation that we put on ourselves as amateur runners who basically are doing something for a hobby. She, she embodies that. She just kind of runs. And then when she's not running, she's not running, you know, it's a really great, uh, I wish, you know, I wish more people could kind of take that on board, that sort of sense of like, do this when you need to do this, and then when you're not, that's part of your life, doesn't inform your life so much. Do you, Matt, do you have a sense of what led her down that road? Was it just modeling because of you and your wife? or It's Katie Wright. Do you know who Katie Wright is? I don't think I do. Katie Wright. Katie Wright is one of the most unassuming human beings on, on the planet. So we have this... Um, this uh, section of our podcast is called Greatest Run Ever, and people write into us and tell us their greatest run ever. This woman's a, a, a doctor, and her greatest run ever was that time I ran around Wales. Like, the <laughs> you know, and then she, become, she becomes, and, and, and then we help put on this event, which is a last person standing. It's a backyard ultra in the forest by our home. And, and she comes out and she wins the bloody thing. You know, she's the first woman in the world to win a last person standing event. Uh, she goes to Biggs uh, and uh, everyone's kind of going, well, I mean, you did all right in little old New Zealand, but wh- how are you going to play with the big boys and big girls here? As she comes, she's top four. I think she was third. Mm. Um, you know, she's a, she won the title at a hundred mile event. So it's, and she is one of the most sort of unassuming uh, people on the planet, you know, uh, and, hung out with us a lot and and yeah it's 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 katie wright basically it has very little i'm gonna say it has very little to do with uh rebecca or i um but you know maybe the fact that we dra- dragging her around to these races was the thing that you know introduced her to katie wright but yeah i love the fact that there are so many extraordinary female ultra runners right now mm. that that's the only reason i guess katie wright hasn't registered on my brain is that, you know, with Maggie Guterl and Amelia Boone and Courtney DeWalter out there and Fiona, I'm sorry, who's the um, uh, Scottish veterinarian? Um, uh, oh, um, she won the spine. Yes. And she was at, um, she was at last. Jasmine Paris. Yes, Jasmine Paris, exactly, right. Yeah, uh, yeah. there's so many superstars who mm. are at the very top of the game, male or female, that, yeah, if you're not top one or two, you're actually, you can actually fall. You know, yeah, Camille uh, Heron. Yeah, yeah, another one, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, it really is an so, age, isn't it? Well, it's, it's so cool to me because, again, this was one of the propositions I was kind of floating out back uh, with Born to Run, back when I was you know, researching it in 2006, writing in 2008, was there seemed to be this phenomenon that as distances got longer, the differences between men and women got smaller. And, you know, there's a whole kind of a evolutionary theory that, you know, humans are not good sprinters, but we're terrific at uh, collaborating and adapting and stamina. And if that's true, then males and females should perform, you know, relatively the same. And so I love the fact that ultra running's history for the past 10 years has put that proposition to the test and it's kind of proven it's true. You Mm. get above 10, 15, 20 miles and suddenly men and women are performing almost as equals. Absolutely. And it, it's, um, you know, it's, we, 
we see it, we're seeing it more and more. It's being proved more and more, and so it's just the. But but what I, I was just getting back to Lola. Sorry, the favorite thing that she said there, my favorite thing that she said was, "I do it because it's fun." And when I heard her say that, I just wanted to raise my arms and because that's what it's all about, isn't it? That's why we and and as runners and as people of, who kind of committed to this thing called running, we often forget that, don't we? Yeah, and that's the thing about it. So I was thinking with Matt, like, man, if you can break that down and distill how uh, Lola came to that appreciation, like that's the that's the keys to the kingdom mm. right there. Like that cracks the door open for everybody because if everybody ran it, if, if we quadruple the number of runners, we will slash in half so many problems, you know, like mental health and physical disorders. But the key is just that. Like how do you get – 15 year olds to think this is this is just fun like mm. and it seems easy but it's really not mm. you know running puts you in a state of distress you know puts you in physical distress physical distress doesn't feel fun so somehow lola is not feeling that distress she's running in a way where her body is embracing it her mind's embracing it it feels good to her so whatever that is man whatever you figured out if you can share that dude that's huge mm. Because that, I mean, as, as a society, we often think of running as punishment. You know, when you're a kid and you're playing team sports and you muck up, you're sitting around that, you know, everyone has to do laps of the field or whatever it is. And so when our, our mind, like it's like society is kind of conditioning us to think running bad um, and to be able to reverse that um, is we've got to figure out how to do that to get people to see that it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. There's so many different ways that it's good for you. I got a theory about that. And all along for years, I felt that the two worst influences on the sport of running are shoes and races. Mm. So if you open up, open up any running magazine, it's full of advertisements for shoes and races, shoes and races, you know, train for this race, buy these shoes. And both of those things are basically tempting you to drive drunk. Mm. That's essentially what they're doing. They're tempting you to do things which are beyond your capacity to be in control. And so my beef with cushioned running shoes is that, you know, don't avoid pain. Pain is a very good thing. You know, pain is there for a reason. Pain's there to tell you, eh, maybe don't do this anymore, you know? So the idea of running in a minimal shoe without cushioning, just now I just run on the train tracks, full of rocks and I kept stepping on them and I'd like, you know, hurt my foot. And, but it, it forced me like, dude, wake up, stop running blind, stop running too fast and you'll stop stepping on the rocks. You know, like the pain was sending a good message, dude, like lift your eye, you know, lift your head, open your eyes. So, you know, Matt, you had started off earlier uh, before uh, Lola blew you away on the microphone. <laughs> um, you were asking about, you know, Hopa and ultra cushion shoes. And, and then my problem with all these um, things is, Hey, look, Anything that lets you go out and shake your ass for an hour and have a good time, I'm in favor. You know what? If wearing a pair of hokas means you're going to run a race and have a good time, I'm all for it. However, I also feel that these devices are there to seduce you into shortcuts and excesses, which you'd be better off without. So if by putting on a pair of hokas, you can run twice as far as you could in a minimal shoe, 
that might be heading you for a breakdown. You know, that might be getting you way too far out on the ledge. And to some point, you crack the ice and you fall through. Mm. So, you know, so my, my feeling about all, all this is, is that, you know, we've pushed so much emphasis over the past 30, 40 years on like, you got to run a marathon. You got to go fast. You got to qualify for Boston. You got to, you got to, you got to, you know. And the second thing is, and you got to buy these shoes or you're going to get hurt. And you got to, you know, turn them over every 300 miles or you're going to get hurt. You know, or you got to, you know, get your gate analyzed. And it's that, that fear factor. If you don't do this, you're going to pay for it. So I, that, those are the things I thought, man. And yet when I talk about this, I feel like I start straying into like raving lunatic, you know, guy on the street corner screaming about the afterlife uh, mode. Because on the one hand, the thing that people most enjoy about the sport is training for races and buying cool new shit. Mm. You know, I, I'm the same way. If I go on eBay, if I find a pair of like vintage New Balance Minimus with a good sole in my size, I'm like flipping out. You know, I'm stoked. And I'll buy him some guy's old shoes for $30. I'm stoked. So I like acquiring cool new shit too. And I also like training for challenges. However, I feel like we keep pushing people into the red zone of forcing them to the limits of speed and uh, distance. And that's that's where the problems are. So it seems to me as if Lola is only about whatevs, man. Like if it's fun, she's going to do it. Uh, she doesn't care about her times. It doesn't seem to be. And, and she's maintained that playfulness mm. yeah it's an, I, I wonder if there's and will research bear out i mean you think about the rate of injuries and brand x or brand y you know minimal or uh super hyper cushioned i'm pretty sure the rate of injuries stayed constant um so it's clearly not you know and claims could be made by both sides and have done about, you know, in the past about the sort of the viability of, of, of what's happening. But it's an interesting thing that you say, isn't it, that these shoes are supposed to be a, a, a panacea. But you're right, Chris, the body will tell you when to stop and it'll show you when you need to stop. And the other thing that you highlight, I mean, Eugene and I spend a bit of time on, on race around races and around, race, you know, race finishes. And you get this horrible thing about people apologizing to each other, apologizing to themselves and apologizing to you that they're only running the 50K or they're only <laughs> doing, you know, that, that phenomena. Like imagine that, like imagine in the, you know, the 80s or the 70s at, at a marathon, we're all here to do this and we're, this is going to be awesome. It's going to be a challenge. Now we're a nation sort of, or a community sort of going, I'm only doing the 50K. I'm so sorry. You know, it's just <laughs> such a wild proposition that we're at. Like, yeah, I what I get a lot of too is people apologizing for their paces and their speeds, and I get it a ton. You know, someone will reach out to me, and say, "Hey, this time I'm going to be in your neighborhood. Would you like to go for a run together?" But I'm, I'm really sorry. I, I'm really, really slow. I said, "Dude, have you seen me? Trust me. You know, you'd have to be immobile to be slower than me. You know, but but people feel this need to like this this shame and self consciousness of not being not being good enough, and you know, like who cares? Yeah. Yeah, and it's the same with with races and the pressure to race. Um, for years, my least favorite thing about running was races because you know it just came with so much sort of pressure, like you're talking about. And in a way, the the lockdowns and the you know, COVID thing that we've been through in the last couple of years sort of taught me that it's okay. You don't <laughs> you don't have to race. You can just run because you enjoy it. Um, I recently started ocean swimming and um, 
I signed up for a race and I've got a friend who's, who's done ocean racing for ocean swimming, sorry, for ever for his whole life. And I said, Oh, I'm doing this, this race coming up. And he looked at me like I was crazy. I said, dude, what are you doing that for? I said, cause I'm, I've been doing all this training. And he went, what do you mean? You just been swimming. Like, and it was kind of like a, like yeah, we were looking at each other from different planets. Um, but he's absolutely yeah. right. Why do I need to go and do a race? That said, uh, what's the swim run scene like in um, yeah. New Zealand these days? It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. There, there's something about that. I haven't signed up for one yet, but I'm really intrigued by it, particularly because of the um, – so are your swim runs all buddy systems where you yeah. have to – You have to be tethered. You have to be know? within – what is it? A couple of meters of each other or something? I feel like that might be a key right there. Mm. You know, that if you got to be with your buddy, it just changes the dynamic. Yeah. You know, it's not like lower your head, pull through, you know, me first. But the fact that you've got to be mindful of somebody else yeah. and, and the fact that you're changing, you know, you're changing mediums so often. Yeah. Um, I don't know, to me, it seems to me like a great equalizer. So I'm really intrigued by it. I started doing some of that on my own. So in Hawaii, um, where my wife is from, there's this cool run. It's like a three-mile run and like a quarter-mile swim. And then you're back on the sand and another quarter-mile swim. It's just, it's just for fun, you know? And I just throw on a snorkel and a, and a mask when I do the swim. I'm like down there checking shit out underneath me. And you pop out and you run a bit. But it just seems, man, just so so fun. Yeah. There's, a, there's an area... Um north of us a couple of hours called the bay of islands called named that for obvious reasons and they have a great run, uh, run swim up there where you can basically skip around the islands um running across the island swimming between the between the you know between the islands um what? it looks amazing it does look amazing yeah, I know Eugene. I think we're talking ourselves into something. Yeah, I know. I started off saying we shouldn't be racing, and now I'm about to Google how to enter the the Bay of Islands swim run. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm going to ask you to get into too. Uh, hey, so whereabouts are you guys? Are you guys in Wellington? No, we're not. And I understand that you've had some you've had some good old times in Wellington with the worm runners. Um, we're at the end of the country, so we're in uh, we're in Auckland, in the north. So yeah, in the okay. north. Mm. Okay, yeah, I've so, only known the south. I've been to Wellington and down in Dunedin. That's the only place I've been. Uh, so yeah, I know it's like my sentimental. So the top, the top island where it gets at the start of where it gets narrow. That's yeah. where we are. We're on a an isthmus, uh, and and so we yeah, can run. So. We can run coast to coast, right across the country, ten kilometers. <laughs> well, I love that's a, that's a good bragging rights right there. You yeah. know, I ran across the whole country. <laughs> yeah. That's right. See so a shining sea. Uh, yeah. Sorry, Matt. You know, Eugene and I are, are getting uh, locked into our own reverie here. What, what were you going to say? No, no. It's. I mean, that's that's the thing, right? It's it's so. I was going to touch on on burrow racing pivoting because we're we're getting into kind of like how running has branched off into all these sort of. It was just running at the start, and it's still just running. But then you you add in another, you add in a buddy, you add in a, another medium like water. For those who don't know, I mean, burrow racing seems like one of the harder and potentially more dangerous niches of the sport. I mean, do you want to talk us through that? I mean, whatever talk about being, whatever possessed you to get into that. Talk about being tethered to someone. Yeah, or yeah. something. Yeah, you know, it was funny. Um, 
the evolution for me was, again, I, I came to this sport as a complete outsider, didn't know anything about ultra running. I lived in Philadelphia. I had a buddy who left from Philly and was working in Colorado for a magazine. And he uh, said, hey, man, you want to write any, any articles for me? And I, I'd, I'd read something somewhere about the Tarahumata running in Leadville, Colorado in the 90s. And then never reappearing there again. In my mind, like, man, this must have been just the most brazen racism. Like, what race does not bring back the defending champions? So I assumed that the people in the small Colorado town must have really crapped on these indigenous Mexicans and not brought them back. Because there could be no other explanation in my mind why they wouldn't be there to defend their titles. So I propose that I write an article about Leadville, assuming it was this bastion of, like, right-wing ugliness. So I get down there, and of course, I'm completely effing wrong. Uh, that was not the story at all. But I met Ken Clover, who is the founder of the race, and got along with him really well. And he kind of opened my eyes to what was really going on with the, with the Tarahumata. And that actually led to Born to Run. It was that conversation that made me think, okay, I, get, I should get down to the Copper Canyon and learn more about this. But a corollary of that was, as he's telling me about Leadville's history with the Tarahumata, he mentioned his own history, which was that he came from Oklahoma. He's in Leadville trying to find a job. He sees this burrow race. He loved it. I don't know what he's talking about. He's like, man, you should come back. It's in a couple of months. And I'm like, okay, you know, so I'm figuring I'll just double dip. I'll come back to another article about whatever this bizarre little sideshow freak show of a race is. So I come back and Ken had gotten a, a donkey for me to run with, this massive, you know, racehorse of a donkey that was – Way too much animal for me. And I tried it. And that was a 22-mile race at uh, 11,000 feet. Uh, everything about it was too much too much miles, too much altitude, too much donkey, too little Chris, you know. Uh, it was a horrible experience. And I came away from it basically traumatized and, and resentful and angry and deciding I would never, ever do this again. But then we ended up, I don't know how many years, man, maybe like 15 years or so later with a donkey of our own and advice from a friend saying this, this rescue donkey, which we had inherited, was so uh, in such terrible uh, physical condition and mental condition that our friend said, if you don't find something, if you don't find a job for this donkey, if you don't get it out moving every day, it's doomed. It's going to die. And so I'm kind of racking my brain, like, what am I going to do? What a donkey. And I also know myself that if I don't enjoy something, at some point I'm just going to quit. Like If it's not fun for me, no matter how determined I am, seven or eight days, I say, I stop doing it. So whatever job I was going to find for this donkey, it had to be something I also enjoyed. So I thought, oh, yeah, you know what? Maybe one of these burrow races, maybe I'll train this donkey to run beside me. So the history of burrow racing was kind of cool. It, it basically had to do with those prospectors up in the Rockies. Back in the 1800s, they would like strike a vein up in the mountains somewhere and they would load all their gear on the donkey's back and then run to the nearest town to register their claim. And so there was that tradition of dudes running into town with a loaded up donkey and going right to the claims office and claiming it. So then you got these guys who are now like newly rich with gold in town in the West, no entertainment, money in their pockets, alcohol in their system. And so they start racing each other, taking their donkeys and saying, hey, I'll race, you know, from Leadville to Fairplay. And off they go. And this continued to the point where even after 
mining went from prospecting into like full bore underground uh, hard rock mining. They were still using the donkeys in the mines. So the miners would come out on a Saturday out of the, the pits and all the donkeys are in the field and they knew about this tradition. So they started lassoing the donkeys and racing each other. Uh, and this went on for years and years. So it became Colorado's like summer heritage sport, burrow racing. But it's for real, man. Like these are 21 to 29 mile races at high altitude with people who are alpha dogs across the board. I mean, these people race hard. And the key is anybody can pick up a donkey and run with it and you'll have a very miserable day. If you haven't bonded with that animal, like if that animal's not on your team, you're screwed. So what I love about it is it is not only a test of your own stamina and speed, but is it a test of your own affinity and investment in bonding with an animal who won't take your shit. If you think you're going to bully it or manipulate it, you're, you've already lost. If you're willing to try to understand it and partner with it, then you're going to have a beautiful thing. Uh, and my final thing about it, so as, as I started getting into this and training for it, I started to research it. Again, I love this fact that back when, you know, all those idiots in Boston were like, you, you know, women can't run the marathon. Their reproductive organs will fall out. You know, meanwhile, in Colorado, women were running 29 miles with a fucking donkey at 12,000 feet <laughs> since the 1940s, you know, without a problem and, and winning the races. And, and I just love the fact that that people just ignore that. It's happening right now. So even as people in Boston, you know, in the 1970s were trying to, like, lecture people about how women weren't strong enough, literally at that moment, people were doing a race that was longer and harder and running much faster. So I, I love the fact in the Rockies, like they just didn't care what was happening in like the hoity-toity East Coast. They're like, we'll just do our own thing, man. You know, mm. and when we're out there running and, and doing great. Mm. I often feel like I have a donkey inside me. The um, As in, <laughs> I don't want to do this. What are you doing? And it's, you know, you kind of end up um, having to convince yourself Um and, and the way you do it is not thrashing yourself, like you're saying, with the donkey. If You, you can't thrash it to, to make it go. Um, we need to be kinder to ourselves sometimes. Yeah, and that was the thing about it was, so for this experience for running with Sherman, there were these layers of revelation, which again should have been obvious, but it, it wasn't so much that I was learning stuff that was new it was I was recognizing stuff that should have been obvious. Mm. It was peeling away this layer of gunk that we have imposed on ourselves that don't doesn't need to be there. So, you know, the, the first thing was, so we have this donkey and we're trying to get it to run in order to save its life. And it's not having it at all. And it keeps circling back and sort of out maneuvering me and going back to the barn. But then we realized, oh, but he'll follow this goat. He loved Lawrence the goat. Mm. So we're like, all right, well, let's, let's just throw a goat at the problem. So we could walk the goat. Donkey would follow. Cool. And then I realized he would actually follow my daughters. Even better. My daughters go out. They would jog a little bit. Donkey follows. And then finally, like the obvious thing occurred to me, like, well, why not just add some more donkeys to the equation? And once we did that, it was so obvious. Like the donkey liked to be with other donkeys. So you have one donkey going nowhere. You have three donkeys and they will go forever. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it just dawned on me, humans are communal creatures. By nature, we are collaborative. We live in communities. We live in societies. 
if we hate running, maybe it's because we're by ourselves. Maybe because we're on a treadmill. Mm. You know? But you get three buddies out there. Has anybody ever finished a run with three buddies where they haven't said, that was great? It's, it's never happened in the history of running. No one's ever finished with a group and said, that sucks. Mm. You know? They're always, oh, that was great. So that was, that was lesson one to me was running the group is always superior to running alone. Number one. Number two is keeping yourself within your kind of green zone, like you're out of the distress area. And that's the way the donkeys are. If they start to get hot, they stop. If they're thirsty, they drink. And to them, this is not a race. They have no Strava. They don't give a shit if the guy <laughs> who was out here who you never met happened to go faster on the same route six months ago. They don't care. They don't know. Yeah. And so about it. The donkeys are just there within their own sort of biological parameters. Um, you know, Barefoot Ted, it, it sometimes concerns me how often I, I quote Barefoot Ted because it, it makes me feel that maybe I'm becoming like him. And I'm like, that should be a big red flag. But, um, you know, he, he, he runs Leadville in like 26 hours, which is like blazing freaking fast. And he trains like 25 miles a week. Yeah. Mm. How is it possible? He's like, I'm not interested in the limits of what's possible. I'm not interested in the limits of what's painful. I'm interested in the limits of what's pleasurable. And you know, as he's talking, I'm literally it's like swirling a finger around my temple, rolling my eyes, making fun of him. And then I think, Jesus Christ, that's really smart. You know, yeah. I'm testing the limits of what's pleasurable. Yeah. And so, anyway, uh, that was that was the thing about it. What I started to learn from the donkeys is that we get away from all this faulty wiring that we impose on ourselves and just get back to our fundamental animal impulses. Yeah. And then suddenly, you know, not, not to, I mean, this is a compliment to Lola. You're getting back to like a 15 year old girl, you know, who's just enjoying it. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I picked up from the donkeys, man. Uh, it was a real revelation. Mm. You, I mean, I've, I've kind of, you know, you've spent this time sort of observing and coming to these understandings, not, not trying to make you sound like a Yoda or something, but, you know, you did compare yourself to Barefoot Ted just there, but but um, <laughs> you're coming to these realizations and stuff. But, you know, back in your, your previous life, as it were, as an AP correspondent, you know, going to, to places like Rwanda, you stared into the eyes of the worst of humanity. Um, do you think having seen that side of what we can be as a species informs you now as you find these kind of, you know, way that we should be, the way that we can be better. It's a super intriguing question. And it's a very um, difficult one to answer right now, particularly at this time in my country mm -hmm. where you feel like you're confronting so much stupid hostility and competition and willful ignorance that it almost feels hopeless mm -hmm. that almost anything that's going to come out of my mouth is going to be just uh, trite. Um, because again, I, I, we sort of see it all around us. Yeah. Man, oh man, like, I can't really get it. Like the gun situation in my country, like how obvious does it have to be? You know, mm. Mm. let's get rid of the goddamn things, period. Mm. And, and there, there's all this noise that goes back and forth. Yeah, well, mental health. Well, the second, it's a very simple thing. More lethal weapons, more lethality, period. Mm. 
period. You want to end the shootings, get rid of the things that shoot, period. And so when we talk about trying to find that, that better side, I feel it's there. You know, we see it a lot in our sport, but then we walk out the door and we see that other side. And here's the weird thing about it is you see the same people in an ultramarathon who are unbelievably kind and compassionate to other people. And yet they hold these other ideological beliefs. Yeah. And so how do those two things coexist in the same brain? Yeah. Uh, I'm always kind of struck by it. Like, you know, be on online, um, people will comment to me like, yeah, I really like his book a lot. You know, I really like his, but he's a raging liberal and therefore, f him. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, like, <laughs> but then they see the same thing in me. They're like, yeah, hey, we kind of like this guy on the one hand, but he's got these crazy ass beliefs. So uh, we can't listen to him. Mm. Um, it's tricky, man, because, you know, the thing about it is the one takeaway I like to try to keep in my heart and mind is that there is a tranquility and a sense of fellow feeling that comes from a mutual struggle against the same challenge. And one of the things I love about trail running is that it's such a great equalizer in the sense of like a road race a lot of the um, unpredictability has been removed. You know, I'm running on a smooth asphalt surface. I know there will be water every mile. I know exactly what the split should be. You're in the woods. You kind of really don't know what's happening. You know, like there's roots and darkness and rocks. And I don't know where the A station is. And one mile feels like four. Four miles feels like one. And it feels like that is such a bonding thing for everybody out there. Like instantly, we are no longer competing against each other. We are competing with each other against these woods. Mm. And so that's the thing I keep thinking like, to me, that is the natural human condition. Like that's what we evolved to do for 3 million years, to band together in harmony with, but against the environment for survival. And that makes hostility impossible, you know? Like two ultra runners never fight, you know, they just don't because you, you, you guys are sharing M&Ms. Um, you know, you're, you're both, you know, hoping the other guy's got batteries for the headlamp. Uh, so, yeah, man, that was a, that was a circuitous and ultimately meaningless answer, Eugene. Sorry, dude. I feel like there's something there. I feel like the beauty of running is this is our ancestral legacy. You know, uh, that, that born to run is biologically and scientifically true. We evolved to do this. It's what allows us to connect to our best nature for, because that's what would allow us to survive. Mm. And so the more people do it, hopefully, you know, we'll start to just pull back the darkness a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 in my other life, I'm a, a journalist and I've recently written a series about the build up to um, there was a, a terrorist attack in Christchurch, uh, 2019, 51 people were killed in a mosque. Two mosques, sorry. Um, and one of the themes that I tried to look at is, have we forgotten how to listen to each other? Is that part of what went on? That we just, we, you know, we don't listen to each other. We, we shout too much. When people are crying for help, we don't listen to them anymore. And maybe in a way, you know, in the trails, hopefully, we've, we find that we're able to do that more. We, we have to listen to each other. We have to listen to our buddies, we have to know when they need help. Um, 
we have to do something. We have to, you know, we can't just run on and leave your mate there when he's fallen down. We need to make sure he's okay and well, she's okay and, um, you know, share a jowl and, and talk to each other. Um, so I, I kind of, I can see that it's not just that you suddenly switch after your experiences um, as an AP correspondent, you know, it was all brightness and light. Um, you know, you started writing about running and, oh, hallelujah, the world is a good place. It's not like that. It's, it's, but it's, I'm rambling here, but it sounds, yeah, it, we, we can find things in running that will help us, hopefully. Yeah. I'm curious, what, what exactly do you mean by listening to each other? Um, sorry, Matt. Oh, no, it seems, I mean, it's an interesting thing, isn't it, when you have people shouting at each other, and, we, and, 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 and traditionally, if we were to shout at each other, you know, like you said, we are but a blink in the eye, and, and a nanosecond of that blink of the eye, we would shout at each other in person. So we're getting all these cues from each other, and if, Chris, you said something to me that upset me, and you could see, you know, we communicate by body language, you could see that you'd upset me. You'd probably either moderate or, you know, nine times out of 10 people, there's an, there's a mutual appeasement there. You know, if you're doing things online, if you're doing things in bite size, if you're doing things, you don't see the response. So it seems to me, and and, I mean, my, I'm a charge nurse of a mental health unit, you know, uh, you get these two groups of people shouting and one person shouting what you're saying, I don't understand. And the other person saying what you're shouting, I don't agree with. You know, and it's just this continual kind of, and it's almost, it feels like we argue over data points. Again, you know, we argue over, and I don't, I'm not going to make any comment on your situation. You, you, you know, in the US, it's a completely different society, it's a completely different constitutional standpoint, experiment, whatever you want to call it. But like, I had an interaction the other day at the gas station, sorry, at the petrol station, um, where a guy came up to me, I had my mask on, he's like, what do you think about COVID-19? I said, and ironically at the time I probably had COVID-19, and I said to him, hey dude, um, well, I'm a, I said I'm a, you know, he had, this guy was quite skinny, he had no teeth, he'd obviously stayed up a couple of nights, you know, he was a bit, he was a bit exercised, and he's like, it's man-made, you know, it's man-made, and I said, well, okay, cool, that's your experience of the, of the, you know, the understanding, um, and we had this really lovely engagement where, and I'm, I'm someone I was like, I would drop a bomb on protesters at, at the heart of my, the anti-vax kind of movement, because at the heart of my heart, I was slaving away in a, in, a, in a hospital and my friends were getting sick and, you know, I wasn't seeing my family, rah, rah, rah. And I was face to face with this guy, the enemy, as you were, in, a, in, in the forecourt of a petrol station. And he was annoyed. He was fed up. He was a bit scared. He just wanted some meaning, and he reached his kind of standpoint, and I was exactly the same. And we had this kind of lovely interaction. I was like, "Look, I see things, I see things differently from you, but it doesn't mean that we kind of have the same. That we, both things, you know, we can't both like the feelings are congruent rather than the data point." And then he did say, "Like you're probably bound by some creepy NDA," which I thought was quite gorgeous. <laughs> he said, "You know, oh, you're a, you're a nurse, you can't talk about it." And I said to him, "Dude, you know, we can't keep." secrets like <laughs> you've obviously never hung out with a bunch of nurses or doctors because we we gossip like there's no tomorrow like there's been no way but it seems like it's that kind of not to ramble but that we argue over data here's my standpoint no here's my standpoint 
maximal shoes are better. No, it's 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 minimal shoes are better. And the underneath is, I'm pushing myself too much, and I'm 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 not listening to my body, or I'm not listening to the the feeling, or I'm scared, or I'm hurt, and it that's what it seems like at the moment to me, anyway. I think as journalists, Eugene and I have zeroed in on the fact, like the headline of this is, Matt Raymond says he will drop a bomb on anti-vax protesters. <laughs> and you know, uh, Chris, at points, like honestly, I would, and I would have, because I was, and and that's my sort of shout into the wilderness, right? That's my scream of pain. Like, that's my, like, I've been stuck in a N95 and a face shield and PPE, and I haven't, like, I've been at work for three straight weeks, you know, like I've had to leave this podcast, hey, yeah. Eugene, like we were, we were going onto a call and my boss rang and said, you got to come right now. And I had to put my headphones down and left, you know, like, yeah, absolutely. Is it a wrong standpoint to say? Absolutely. But it's a, I understand, I'm not going to stand here and say, I don't understand that sort of, that the theme is, is, is that fear, right? I don't know. I, I can, I feel like I can almost link that. And this is going to sound kind of superficial. Back to the question about cushion running shoes. What no, bo- it's true. It's not superficial at all. What bothers me about that anti-vax is I feel like people have been sold something cynically. Someone who has something to gain has convinced people to believe something that is against their own interests. Mm. And that's what bothered me about that whole anti-vax thing. It was never, I felt like, about the vaccine. It was about other people who were trying to push an agenda or, or a political point yeah. to mobilize against something which under other circumstances they'd be all for. Yeah. Hey, I think I, uh, hey let me ask you guys a question. Hey, Matt, how many, um, how many vaccines have you had? Three. Eugene, how about you? Three. Okay. I've tied you guys both. I've had five. What? Wow. Going back and forth between Hawaii and uh, Pennsylvania, I was just like, I would just show up and get a new one every time I had an opportunity. So yeah. uh, my, my daughter was saying that she thinks I have a vaccine dependency now. <laughs> That's right. It's like 12, 12% of my body fluid is now like, you know, anti-COVID vaccine. Like, There's this dude here who was paying. He was, uh, this dude here was, uh, he <laughs> Because of a mandate, so he what he would do is he would take someone's, you know, basically he was like forty bucks a shot. He ended up having like twelve shots in one day or something like that, because he was going around his mates and getting the pass, so he'd get a they get a vaccine pass, and that's how he was sort of oh, no. duking the system. He would have been so sick. Oh no! Everybody's getting sick. He's getting sick. His friends aren't getting the shots. Uh, what will get me is that you know Pennsylvania and where we are is kind of like this anti-vax, you know beehive and so i go to these pharmacies and they have like you know free covid like you know no appointment necessary and there's nobody there and i'd be like going to buy a shampoo or something i go i'll just jump in line and get another one so i'd say what do you guys got oh you got the j and j don't have that one bring it in you know but i felt like you know nobody else wants these things they're going to waste i'll I'll take one so yeah i got them all i got the moderna i got pfizer and i got the j and j brilliant Wow. wow yeah Look, I mean, and, please, and and I guess you know, I feel like I'm a little bit cornered here. The the headline is uh, COVID-addled nurse speaks <laughs> speaks precipitously in the midst of a fever and does not wish to drop a bomb on anyone. Um, you probably send that to a sub editor to kind of make it more punchy, but um, 
if delirious man speaks his mind. Uh, <laughs> Chris, you've been so generous with your time with us today, and this has been incredible. Uh, it's and you know not to, I guess weaving it back in with your mate barefoot Ted. This has been like speaking a little bit with barefoot Ted. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely, Eugene? yeah. When we got on with when we got on with Ted, the first thing he shouted, he had his little shrine thing. We got on, he just went free jazz or something like that. Like, <laughs> it's been wonderful, and you've been so generous with your time. And what we'd like to ask you is the the, the question we ask everyone who comes on Dirt Church Radio, and that's Christopher McDougal. What's been your greatest run ever? I wish I prepped for this. Oh, I, you know, I'm definitely gonna have to say the greatest run ever was a run with my wife and our friend Zeke through the woods with our donkeys on a run we didn't think any of us were capable of doing. And it was too hot, too long, too hilly. And there's that moment where we're bringing it into home in the last half mile, we're all kind of looking at each other like, wow, we really did it, you know? Two hours ago we set out but we couldn't do it. Two hours later, we're, we're bringing it in. So that was it. Uh, and maybe that's what all the best runs are. When you set out a personal thing, you don't think you can do it, and you pull it off. But that one with Zeke and Mika and Flower, Matilda and Sherman, Hall of Fame. Brilliant. It's like you said, you don't finish a run with a couple of mates ever without thinking, yeah, that was, that was something. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. And Eugene, that's going to be me and you doing the swim run. Yeah, why not? Let's do it. Come on down. All right. Come on down. That would be incredible. If we can pull it off, I think it would be, you know, unpredictable but fun. Yeah. All right. Thank you so, so much. We really appreciate it. Yeah, guys, thank you. And thank Lola, too. It was really fun having her pop in. Yeah. Yeah. It certainly was. was. And that wasn't a a planned planned thing by any means. An unexpected deviation, but a great one. Yeah. Her little 15-year-old mind, she's as stoked as a 15-year-old could be. <laughs> hey, guys, thank you. Thanks, Chris. Thank you so much, Chris. more an experience than, a, than an episode that one I, just, I, was, I, I was writing the show notes and I was like donkeys urine <laughs> and then your swim run team how good yeah. would that be I'm still barracking be. for that it I, would be it would I, be good he's very busy on the circuit at the moment I mean you know I think he was planning on coming down and then Rich Roll called and said yeah, yeah. hey Christopher <laughs> can you come down to LA you know, sorry that's terrible Rich Roll impersonation but yeah I mean check out that episode as well that's, that's I mean you know probably Dirt Church Radio is still up there for his favourite podcast yeah. appearances of 2022. But, you know, I'm sure Rich Roll was up there as well. I think one of the things that you said when, because we'd listened to it independent, not that we listened to podcasts together, it's under in a room together, but like we'd both listened to it. And I, I was like, wow, that was really cool. And it's with Eric Orton as well. And, yep. you, and you said like one of the great things about Chris McDougall is when you're in the room with him or on the podcast with him, you have his full attention. Yeah. It never feels like he's phoning it in. Yeah, so. absolutely. Absolutely. 
What a what a what a trip that was. So thank you, Christopher. Thank you, Lola. Um, and thank you very much for tuning in. We're on social media at Dirt Church Radio. Email at dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. You can find us on all the podcast platforms. Like and follow if you fancy, and you can download direct from the website, which is dirtchurchradio.com. Don't forget to send in your greatest run ever. We'd love to hear from you. Um, go and have a read of some of them on the website, dirtchurchradio.com, and then you can send one into us, dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. Thanks to our sponsors, Scott Running, Further Faster, and Cielli. Thank you to our Patreon patrons and Wild Things. And thanks to our editor, Kieran. Stay tuned next week. We've got another great show lined up for our summer series. Hey, cool now. Ah! Thanks, Rigby. <laughs>